0: Let's go inside the vault, the design vault.
1: One of the nice things about the site is it's next to a landmark district, so the heights to the north are low and set, and they won't go any higher. So we knew we wanted to be tall and get as many apartments above that height for views to Manhattan.
0: This is my guest, Michelle Wagner. I'll share more about her shortly. In this episode from the design vault, we'll highlight Michelle's project, Front and York. Front in York is a 1.2 million square foot mixed-use and multifamily complex in Brooklyn, New York. The large-scale two-tower development occupies an entire city block and encompasses a unique blend of apartments, condos, and luxury penthouses, as well as an unparalleled package of indoor and outdoor amenities and more than 140,000 square feet of retail. The project features a blend of more than 750 condo and rental units, as well as an interior courtyard that spans nearly one acre, not to mention a challenging 25-foot grade change across the site. The building resembles that of a late 19th or early 20th century warehouse or factory, but significantly more luxuriant, with a glass fiber reinforced concrete frame and light gray brick infill. The building is quite beautiful and absolutely massive. Hi, I'm Doug Pat, and this is Design Vault. Today, we're talking to Michelle Wagner, registered architect, lead AP. Michelle has her Bachelor of Environmental Design from the University of Colorado and is a registered architect licensed in New York and Colorado. Michelle is a project director at Morris Ajme Architects. Before joining Morris Adjmi, Michelle worked on the World Trade Center Master Plan and Design Guidelines with studio Daniel Liebeskind. With more than 25 years of experience, she excels in the management of large-scale projects and has played a vital role in leading the design and delivery of some of the firm's most ambitious assignments. So let's get into the details. Welcome, Michelle. Thank you, Doug. Thanks for that introduction. So first tell us a little bit about Morris Adjune Architects. Where are they located in New York? What's the size of the firm and what type of work do you do?
1: Sure. We are in Lower Manhattan, downtown, really right near the stock exchange. It's about a hundred person firm in New York. We also have a small office in New Orleans, about maybe a dozen people now, and that's where Morris grew up actually. So okay. he still has a home there and family there and That office covers a lot of our work that's in the South now. As we really branched out, we started as a very New York-based firm in 1997. Do you want me to go ahead and tell the story of Morris's origin story? Yeah, sure. I'd love to hear it. Absolutely. He was working with Aldo Rossi in Italy. He speaks Italian, and he became kind of Aldo Rossi's right-hand man in New York when he got the commission of the Scholastic Building in Soho which you probably know it's kind of a a very modern, but fitting into that historical context very well, right next to the little Singer building, which is a very famous piece of architecture we all probably learned about in architectural history class. So Aldo was tragically killed in a car accident in the 90s, and Morris finished that project for him and kept the office going and started his office from there.
0: Wow. So what kind of work do you guys do today?
1: We really focused on multifamily, office, hospitality, work, our core. We also have art services and interior design. So we really try to deliver all of those services whenever we can. We also have a guy that focuses on urban design. So we've got some multi-parcel experience in master planning as well.
0: Wow. So a comprehensive list of services that you guys offer. Absolutely. So tell us a little bit about yourself. How did you end up at Morris Adjmi? How long have you been there and what's your role in the office?
1: I came to New York originally to work on the World Trade Center Master Plan with Daniel Leviskin, which with my husband, which was really supposed to be a six-month contract. And we've been in New York for 20 years now. So that's <laughs> the way things go. After that, I really enjoyed the experience of working on large-scale master planning projects. So I went to another firm for a while that focused on master planning and architecture. And then through a friend that I met at that firm, I just heard about this great architect, Morris, and I started to look at the work and got invited for an interview. And that was seven years ago, and I haven't looked back.
0: Oh, that's so great. So you're clearly enjoying the work. Very
1: happy there, yeah.
0: So let's dig in here and talk a little bit about our building. Tell us about the Front and York project. So how did your office get the project?
1: It was an invited competition. It was live, work, and CIM. There were three or four architects. I think Bjork Ingels was one of them, ODA. So we all had a charrette. It was paid, but you know, not okay, a lot. sure. Of course. Um, so there was, a, right. was a lot of excitement around this competition because it was a big, big block and you just don't get projects this big in the city very often. So a lot of effort went in and we won. So that was great.
0: So just as an aside, are there a lot of competitions like that in New York that firms like yours or firms that are your size try to get?
1: We're often invited to competitions where they've already kind of pre-selected architects and asked to participate. And of course, it's optional if you want of to course, do that yeah. because you know when you're going in for a competition that you're going to put a lot of effort in really to win that project.
0: And how many firms do you usually compete against?
1: We don't always know, honestly, at the time. Sometimes it's a blind. So we don't really know. And then we try to find out with some difficulty, but, you know, three or four small group. I think if it was a large number, we'd be less interested. Yeah. Because you got to feel like there's a good chance.
0: That's great. And how long does that process take?
1: Usually six weeks. So you have
0: six weeks to complete the project and then... A concept design. The concept design, okay. And then they pick somebody. Well, that's going to be challenging too, like scheduling projects in the office. Are we going to get this one? Are we going to get that one?
1: Oh, yeah. Well, that's a lot of what I do now as a director, a lot of the scheduling. When I worked on Front New York, I was the project manager. So it was really about the project but have been elevated to director. So it really is more about scheduling and staffing. I bet.
0: (laughs) With all those people. Yeah. So tell us a little bit about Front New York. So tell us some of the history of the location of Front New York, and then how did that impact the design?
1: So the location is a full city block in Dumbo, and it was formerly a lead factory, and so there was contamination on the site. I can
0: only imagine Yeah. Yeah.
1: And I think maybe that's why it's at vacant since the 80s, I think maybe. It was a private parking lot and fenced for decades. So, you know, it really needed a big development like this to afford to clean off the site because really we remediated like 50 feet of soils in some areas. 50 feet? Yeah. So all of the contaminated soils were dealt with. Some carted away, some were cleaned on the site under supervision of AKRF, our environmental engineer. So it really took a big project like this to kind of utilize that site.
0: Was the area around the site already well-developed? or It
1: was. There were already towers around the site. 100J next door was a tall tower. I don't know. It's probably 20 years old at least.
0: So what were the clients' programmatic requirements? You guys won the competition and they said, okay, this is what we need. Or you already knew that because you had entered the earlier competition and won it? Yeah, they
1: came with a residential program, mixed use. They already knew what they wanted the program to be, of course. We weren't sure how we were going to handle the middle of the block because it is an extra large block. So some of our early options had a road in the middle. Oh, wow. One thing they really wanted, they wanted cars to be thought of as part of the site, whether we drive up with a big turnaround in the middle, like the Antwerp, I think it's got a big turnaround in the middle. So we looked at that, At the end of the day, we decided that the center of the block really should be a park, and it would bring the value up for all the interior apartments as well as the street side. One of the nice things about the site is it's next to a landmark district, so the heights to the north are low and set, and they won't go any higher. So we knew we wanted to be tall and get as many apartments above that height for views to Manhattan.
0: For those of you who are listening, you should take a look at the site plane and the floor plane because it really is quite beautiful with almost like a park-like feature right in the middle.
1: Yeah. As you mentioned at the, the beginning, there's a massive park. It's like almost the size of a football field. It's for all the residents. We have a mixture of apartments and condos front New York, but everybody can access the park. And even there's a lifetime fitness there as well, and they have some access to that park.
0: Oh, wow. That's so great. So I know there's something unique about the site right there. It's a change in topography. So when you guys first went out there and looked at that, am I correct? It was 25 feet? About Approximately. 20. Okay. Well, 20 yeah, feet. About 20. So that's a big deal for a lot that is as big as this one. Yes. You have to start to think about this is going to be a really big building. Where do we enter? What floor are we entering? How did you guys deal with that?
1: It was a real challenge. And of course, we had to look at many iterations on how to deal with that. One thing we did know is that we wanted the condo lobbies really to see through to the park. And the condos are sited on opposite corners of the site. So there's a big grade change from the lobby floors on each corner, like 20 feet. But we wanted to see that park. So You know, eventually what we came up with was really like rolling hills in the park. I think when you go there, you'll notice it's very kind of hilly and there's a lot of winding paths and it feels very organic and natural.
0: Not like a city. So tell me a little bit about the zoning ordinances there. You said you guys could be taller than buildings that were nearby. How is that even possible and what were your restrictions?
1: Actually, we are an as-of-right project. We oh. did not apply for any variances. That was part of the directive from the beginning. We didn't want to wait for that. It can take months to get a ULURP or a zoning amendment here. So we are as-of-right. So we just maximized the floor area and the height limit and really didn't have to get special approvals.
0: Interesting. So that's kind of nice.
1: Yeah. Right? You walk
0: into a project <laughs> like that. So tell us a little bit about the building plan. So it's like a big donut.
1: It's a big donut, yeah, with a large park in the middle. There's sort of a lower podium level that's about eight stories. And then on opposite corners, there's the towers, which are the condo apartments that are 22 stories tall. And those were sited on diagonal corners and also diagonally from another existing tower in the neighborhood just to maximize view corridors and make sure that we weren't blocking any view corridor.
0: Did you guys go through a lot of design iterations in terms of where those towers were and how tall the building was? Absolutely.
1: A dumb question. (laughs) Well, an interesting thing is, though, in our competition, it was similar massing with the two tall towers on the corner. But they told us, okay, that was the competition. Now we're starting over. Right. I kind of Um, figured. (laughs) You know, so we looked at every possible massing scenario again. Awesome. And then, of course, we ended up back with the towers on the corner. But the big change is they were more massive. They were bigger towers, more like bars, because they really wanted to have great views in these apartments.
0: So style, I said in the intro, it looks a little bit like a factory or warehouse building. I mean, it does, but it doesn't, right? I mean, it's incredibly stylistic. Talk a little bit about how you chose the particular style, because it's a little traditional and it's still contemporary.
1: You know, I think we were inspired by all the factory buildings in Dumbo. I mean, that is the period of significance, that early American factory building, which were very large, and they had big factory windows, and were usually brick or masonry. The storefront, you might notice, we have a very tall sort of metal, blue metal storefront, and it looks very muscular, almost like structural steel. It's aluminum, but it looks like structural steel. That was really inspired by the Manhattan Bridge, which you can see just down the block from both Front and York. You see the structural steel of the bridge.
0: So you guys decided from the get-go that you were going to make a brick building, right?
1: We did. We always wanted the brick. We actually looked at this building as precast donuts initially, just really a client directive thinking that was going to be the most economical solution. But even as precast, we wanted that gray brick. I mean, we were really trying to kind of fit into the neighborhood. There's a lot of granite gray cobblestone in Dumbo, and it was a big building. So we wanted something a little recessive and quiet, I think, in the brick color. So we were looking for that dark gray brick, even when it was a precast building, which ultimately, it's not precast. It's hand-laid Glengarry brick.
0: (laughs) So what are some of the unique construction details that you guys employed here using brick?
1: Well, the first thing is the brick itself. I mean, we had actually gone pretty far down the road with the precast and had a, a gray color in mind. But, you know, of course, economics are always a factor, and we couldn't find an economical gray brick that suited us. So thankfully, we had a great salesperson that told us about new at the time, custom color, Glengarry on clay coating which is not like a clay coat that's very opaque and solid. It's actually more translucent. And we could pick any color that we wanted, and it was pretty economical. So that's what we did. We found a beautiful kind of dark medium gray, very muted, and then a little lighter gray at the penthouse on the kind of additions on top.
0: And I'm looking at some really beautiful details here, particularly the recess in between that kind of frames out every one of those windows. Was that a detail that you guys spent a lot of time working on? Yes, that
1: was actually a detail that we developed when it was precast donuts. And funny enough, we really liked it because it just gave that little bit of detail to the facade that, without it, it felt a little bit flat. So that was originally there to hide the precast joint. Oh
0: my gosh! So it's Um, a remnant. It's a remnant of an
1: earlier design. I think at one point the client suggested maybe we should take it off, and (laughs) we all said that we really (laughs) like it. Yeah, it does an
0: awful lot for the facades. We're
1: going to use it to hide the brick control joint instead. Oh, wow. So that's tucked in there, and that's why you don't see them at the windows.
0: So the control joints are inside that reveal? They're in that
1: reveal to one side. Oh, I'd
0: love to see a blow-up detail on that. Tell me a little bit about the concrete structural frame.
1: That's the GFRC, the white frame. Yes. Is that structural? Really beautiful. It's not structural. It's trim. This is a concrete building. So, yeah, that is a device really to help modulate the scale of the building and also to help it read from a distance. I mean, you can see actually, the you can see that from a plane. I've seen it flying overhead. Are you, you know? serious? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It really does help bring down the scale because, you know, could you imagine if you didn't have that trim? I think the white color... It's really kind of neat standing in front of New York and seeing the blue and white bridge just right there. And just kind of the colors just feel good. They fit into the neighborhood. There's white on the bridge.
0: Had you guys looked at doing that in any other color, like gray, having it melt back into the facade?
1: We study everything. <laughs> We're very <laughs> iterative, I think, in our process. And you, we always internally look at three options. You know, we really push it and then we narrow down the options for the client usually, but lots of options.
0: So did Brick solve any particular design challenges for you guys or for the client?
1: I think the choice to go to Brick was just feeling competitively at the time it was cost, but also just the control of knowing that you could go to different masons if you needed to. I think a lot of times there were more than one trade for, I don't know about the Brick, I think that was just one mason in the end, but because it was such a big building, they wanted to make sure that there was some duplicity, I guess, of trades being able to work on things. And I think they got nervous about getting all the precast from one place.
0: Did you guys have any challenges finding a good mason? I mean, I would imagine in New York it's not a big deal, but even in you know, Westchester County, where I do a lot of work, we always have it was, a challenge The masons were masons. great.
1: Everybody was great. New Line was the CM, New Line Structures. And we worked on this three years in construction. After three years, it was really hard ending construction because we were kind of a big happy family at that point. It
0: was great. So into the office, I often think about how many people work on a project? How many people were on this team and how many people did the drawing for the job?
1: I'd say at least 20 at its peak. Okay. When we were in construction on documents. CDs? Yeah.
0: Yeah. Now, did you guys do this in 3D?
1: Oh, Yeah. We did this in Revit. We usually start with Rhino, something very, you know, designy and flexible and fast. But once you get into Revit, it becomes, you're building a building, right? In the computer. So it becomes more cumbersome, but we absolutely did it in Revit. And actually that ended up being tremendously helpful because we use BIM in construction all the way through. That is Newline did. That's something they like to do and always do. So they have specialists that can really run Revit and they model in great detail all of the MEP plumbing and electrical systems throughout the building. Wow. So we find clashes in construction on the computer before they ever happen in the field.
0: How long have you guys been on Revit? Just curious.
1: I think we transitioned probably fully by 2018. When I started in 2016, I think we had one or two projects yeah. in Revit. Now we're all Revit. I think we're starting to lose people that know how to work CAD, <laughs> but we still have a really? few. Well, because I mean, everybody just does, 2D, does Revit, so we really, BIM. yeah, we can export CAD and everything, but we just yes. don't have many people drawing in CAD anymore and, and really? doing the layers. Oh, my
0: goodness. Right, that's, <laughs> that's how I operate right now. Right. Well, I do both, but yeah. I'm on ArchiCAD. Are most of the people in the city on Revit?
1: I think so. I'm sure there are still people working in CAD, but I think more and more people are going to Revit, especially for big projects.
0: So did sustainability ever come up as a factor in choosing brick? For example, color texture, thermal, code compliance?
1: This isn't a lead project, so we didn't consider it for its sustainability per se. But we did do something at Front York, which was we qualified for Zone Green, which is a New York City zoning rule that if you make your exterior wall thicker and heavily insulate it up to 16 inches thick, you actually get a zoning bonus for that. So we did that. So these are 16-inch thick walls with lots of insulation, CMU backup. That's how this is a sustainable project in terms of the brick wall.
0: So it's an efficient veneer. It's an efficient It's a facade. very,
1: yes, efficient facade helps with heating and cooling loads. We also won the Big Apple Brownfield Award for Environmental Protection for the cleanup effort, I mentioned. Really? Yeah, 2020. So cleaning up that site was a very good move for
0: Dumbo. Just curious, where does all that go? Where does all the land Um, that they've removed?
1: Sometimes they can actually treat it on site. It, It depends on, they test certain segments, like it's a very involved process. If it's very, very bad, then there are places out west that will accept it. (laughs) Okay. If it's not, it can be landfill, like for other projects, can be cleaned and kept local. So the good fill was actually like people would come, they'd put a call out and people would come if they needed fill for their construction projects and they'd cart it away.
0: Yeah, interesting. So I'm thinking here, do we see any masonry on the interior?
1: We do a little bit up on the eighth floor in the amenities. We have some sort of indoor-outdoor fireplaces that have brick. So, yeah, there's a little bit.
0: That's great. So did your team learn anything interesting through the design and construction process, something maybe that you guys hadn't been through in the past?
1: I would say that one thing that we found very difficult At first was the redlining process in architecture where the more senior architects will redline drawings and then give them to the junior staff to pick up the changes. That was very difficult with the 20-person team. So that kind of prompted us to find a tool, which we eventually found Bluebeam Studio, which now we use on every project in the office, where you can go in and do group markups together and highlight together so it's one document And you refresh the document periodically. So we had a lot of logistical challenges like that. We had to set certain meeting pulses internally to make sure we were communicating so we weren't overlapping or ignoring a corner of the building, which you can sometimes do when it's 1.2 million square feet. I think there were a lot of things we learned internally through this process that actually help us now on some of our larger
0: projects. How long was it until you guys implemented Bluebeam?
1: It really, like, started, I think, with Front New York, and now the whole office is on it, and we really do all of our markups that way.
0: That's really cool.
1: QAQC reviews, and Bluebeam's probably the new CAD, I would say, for really? a lot of us, because it is a very good markup and measuring tool. Yes, And, and it's cloud-based, or it can be, so you can work in a big group. And so you the can same go files. in and draw in 2D? Yep.
0: Wow, that's pretty cool. We've been using Procore.
1: Yeah, we also use Procore. Newline Structures did. And that was tremendously
0: helpful. Yeah, for project management, it's been great and super helpful.
1: Yeah. And just the process of using Navisworks and Revit. It's basically Navisworks is the software that helps you look at Revit and really find those clashes in the field. This was the easiest CA project. Maybe not easy for all of the staff, but in terms of the leadership, we weren't running into big problems. It was very smooth. We were finding the problems. In the model in the field. So that was great.
0: How many drawings does a job like this have? Like, what does a construction document set look like?
1: Yeah, I think about 500 drawings. Oh, my goodness. Uh, Yeah, (laughs) something like that. Three or four volumes, you know. Wow. Lots of trades.
0: And construction was three years. That's about right. Wow. So, how long has it been complete?
1: I think it's been complete, really, since the summer, last summer. I could be off by a month or two. (laughs) Are they happy? Is it full? I don't know if it's full, but it's very well occupied. I yeah. do know that there's 16 penthouses are all sold.
0: Wow! The
1: views are spectacular all around. So, I think maybe they wish they built more larger apartments because really, when this was landing, I mean, it seems like the trend started to go to larger apartments uh, yeah. with COVID and everything. A lot of one bedrooms, but they're really nice sized one bedrooms. You know, they're yeah, not. Yeah, the photographs are beautiful. Yeah. And the amenities are, we've had so many developers and other people touring the amenities on the eighth floor. There's 15,000 square feet of amenities up there and they're spectacular. And a couple of swimming pools. (laughs) Oh my gosh. On the roof. I think that's a real selling point.
0: So one last question before you go. Personal question. What's your favorite part of the job and what's your least favorite part of the job as an architect?
1: Well, I like to solve problems with teams. I really like large projects because you get to work with large teams and it's just really fun we have a lot of people that we have a lunchroom at at ma and we have people that sit around and do the new york times crossword puzzle together every day and we just like solving problems together so that's my favorite part
0: yeah that's great you don't have to tell me what you don't like.
1: Okay. <laughs> what I don't like, I think, would be obvious, which is the stress and the, yes. the headaches. And you know, I can only
0: imagine <laughs> on projects that right, are this big.
1: Right. Running into things that you didn't expect in yeah. the field. Those are the things that I like the least.
0: Yeah. My boss used to say, it's always the thing you don't see coming that gets
1: you. That's right.
0: It really is. It's not the stuff you worry about all the time. Right. It's the one thing you just never saw coming. Well, Michelle Wagner, thank you very much for your time today. Where can people go to find out more about you and Morris Anchmi Architects?
1: I'd suggest our website, which is ma.com.
0: All right. You got it. Well, super simple. And thank you very much. This has been great. Front New York's gorgeous. Thank you very much. Thanks for listening. If you learned something today, share this episode with a friend and give us a rating. And review on Apple Podcasts to help others find the show. If you want to find out more about today's project, visit glengarry.com forward slash design dash vault. That's G-L-E-N-G-E-R-Y dot com forward slash design dash vault. Want even more inspiration? Take a look around glengarry.com while you're there. Glengarry is one of the nation's largest brick manufacturers and an industry leader for its diversified product line of more than 600 brick products. With inspiring photos, useful resources, easy search tools, helpful design studios, and more. I'm sure you'll find the inspiration you need to stretch your imagination.